Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Get Real with Dr. Ronay. Doctor of Clinical Psychology and Trauma Specialist. Dr. Ronay Calvert is Executive Director of Live Treatment Concierge Services. Live Treatment provides a unique wraparound approach of concierge services in person and virtually, specifically tailored to each client with a level of effectiveness that transcends any other program. In her daily experience of guiding clients to recovery and emotional freedom, Dr. Renee Calvert gets real to shed light on subjects that have remained in the shadows with courage and compassion. Joined by Bindi Height, international spiritual coach and mentor from Ethical Change Agency, with the mission to inspire change makers and holistic healers to create collective change to make the world a better place through the power of human connection, purpose, and podcasts. It's time to get real. Hey, Renee. Hey, Bendy. Now, today, super excited. Have some really, really special guests to share with you. Um, we've got with us Tara Boyce. Uh, she's in uh, Montreal, Canada. Uh, she's the host of Addicted to Recovery, the interactive memoir podcast. And she shares her decades long battle with substance abuse and mental health issues. She's been in and out of rehab 12 times for alcoholism and also has the added complexity of borderline personality disorder and anxiety disorder that has made her recovery remarkable. And for me, she's a true example of turning pain into purpose. I want to welcome Tara. And oh. and also we have the always lovely Brianne Davis. Uh, she's a Hollywood actress, writer, producer and director. She can be seen as an actress in Lucifer, Casual, True Blood and the History Channel's Series 6 and the film Jarhead starring Jake Gyllenhaal. Brianne has over a decade of recovery as a sex and love addict. Inspired by her life experience, she is the host of the popular podcast Secret Life and author of the book Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. Welcome, Brianne. Thank you. I could not be happier to have this powerhouse here to really join in concert um, in the multiple faces and beauty of what recovery looks like. Talk about examples of true phoenixes. Um, I think what really drew me to, um, and I'm so grateful for both of your time uh, for deciding to join us here today. I'm followers and fans of both of your work. And I think what really drew us all together today is, is the understanding that 
we have each decided, including Bindi, all of us here, have decided to dedicate our lives to taking pain and transforming that into not only purpose, but taking what pain lived in secrecy and was kept there by shame and deliberately shining a light on it, regardless of how vulnerable that made us or how difficult that was to walk through. And in doing that, I really truly believe that we serve the purpose of other people, hopefully, continuing to follow in those footsteps and and creating their own journeys into what their courage and their path forward looks like. Um, Because there's, this is the human experience. I think what really joins us all together is the fact that we were willing to be humans first, regardless of what our backgrounds are, our professions are, where we make the biggest difference in this world, I feel is in being humans and being willing to share our humanity, having the courage to do that and asking that others join hands with us and learning that they're not alone. Well, let's get started. I I really want to hear Brianne's story and how uh, she actually reached such a a long period of uh, recovery um, and has turned it into an art form really uh, with her podcast and and a book, um, which is going gangbusters, by the way. Um, (laughs) Tell us a bit more, Brianne. Yeah. I mean, like you said at the beginning, I started as an actress. So my therapist told me I picked the worst career for my addiction, which is attention, validation, love, you know, fill me up, make me feel special. Give me that worth because inside I was like empty. And so I've been an actress for 25 years, you know, working with trying to be in recovery and sex and love addiction. I have 12 years of recovery now. And my journey was painful. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, It was painful. It is like ripping open your skin and crawling out of it and not knowing what's going to be on the other side. It was the most brutal withdrawal. I remember when I was in six months of my withdrawal and this man came in to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous because I am in a 12-step program and have been and I'm of service and I sponsor and I sponsor people all over the world. I speak all over the world. I have clients all over the world. And he said, I can quit heroin, but I can't quit her. And it was this light bulb moment for me that this addiction that no one talks about, a lot of stigma, a lot of shame, a lot of secrets, especially for women, especially for women, that I had to go through this pain to find myself. I had to go through eight years of intense therapy twice a week. You know, digging, my therapist says we dig through our internal shit to get to our gold. All You know, we bury all of our like innocence and on trauma and addiction and Netflix and food and whatever you use. And I had to dig through that to find myself. And it took a good, solid, probably decade of doing that before I was willing to say, okay, now I need to give bigger. I need to break outside of my community and literally turn to these 19-year-olds, these 20-year-olds coming into my program, suffering so much from intimacy issues, not being able to, you know, the porn addiction, everything just be amplifying social media. It's just amplifying this addiction so much. And I, you know, 
started writing a book. I never wanted to write. I was dyslexic. I don't, I'm just an actor. I'm not a writer. And I wrote the book in 45 days. And I say my God wrote the book because I didn't write the book. And I started speaking out and writing articles and yeah. And it's just turned into this thing where I'm of service with everything I do. If I'm not of service, I'm not going to stay sober. It's all about connection with other addicts or another person because my ego and my addict will destroy life if I allow it. So yeah, that's what I'm doing now. I'm just putting a face to this addiction and telling people they're not alone. And I snort people. I (laughs) smoke people. I drink people. And that's my thing. And it could be family members, friends, lovers. And yeah. And so I'm teaching people how not to use other people as their addiction because our society amplifies it. Our society glamorizes it. And I'm say no, no more. So that's the short end of the stick. <laughs> I gave this abbreviated version. Well, I think that is an amazing, amazing introduction of yourself and your process of getting here. I think that, you know, first of all, I love your therapist already. I don't know who they are, but they sound, they sound like no bullshit, which is yeah. exactly what I think we all really need is love and compassion, but also no bullshit you know, um, and, yeah. go, and and cutting through the mustard and really getting to the root of the problem. And I really don't believe, you know, as a psychologist, I don't believe that anybody should be one unless they've also gone through the process of ripping themselves open and getting that oh, raw. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I hundred percent because you have to go in it as a non-judgmental way. And I definitely think my therapist and people I've worked with and myself look at it in a sense of, hey, me too. I have the darkness and now I and I can show you the path to the other side. It might not look like mine, but you have your path too. And we all, everybody has different ways of healing from addiction or being addicted to a toxic person or an unavailable person. So I agree, but I do have to tell you, my therapist told me two things that stick with me. She said, you wear the mask of a high-class prostitute when I, and I was like, a what lady? I was like, I've never had a one night stand or many sexual partners. And I remember you can be a sex and love addict, not have a one night stand. And then she said, you have a secret and I don't know what it is yet. And at the end of the session, she goes, oh my God, I know what it is. You're a sex and love addict. And that was the entrance for me getting recovery 12 years ago. We went through the 40 questions together, self-diagnose. You can look it up online. And they say, if you get more than five yeses, you might have this problem. And it was a lifesaver. It changed my life. It was brutal. I cried every day for nine months. It was the most painful process in the world, but I survived just like you can. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for what you've chosen to do with it. And, you know, when, when she said to you that, you know, you chose the one career that was the worst for you. I mean, the idea really is when you're, when you're naturally talented at something that acts, that asks of you to play a role. Yeah. How natural is it to just play a role? I mean, we all, we all want to play a role, right? I want right? to play a role. I want to play a role every day that I, yeah. Know, I give me a new pair of shoes. Walking. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to play a role. Give me some new clothes, a hair, yeah. a new haircut and a name and what I'm supposed to say. And I'm, I'm in hog heaven. Like I will be somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because I'm so uncomfortable in myself. It's that yeah. 
uncomfortability when you don't know yourself, when you didn't get the healthy tools to have healthy relationships, to have to develop your self-worth at a young child, to have trauma, to have PTSD, you are empty. So of course I went into a career that's like, tell me who I am, give me my worth, give me my dialogue, you know, all that stuff. And yeah, she said it was the worst. So I was willing to give up my career. You know, that first year of recovery, I was like, take away my career. If it's going to get me better, like I was willing to sacrifice everything in my life to get better. I just hit that wall where it's like, am I going to be doing this till I'm 80? Am I going to be going from relationship to relationship to relationship looking for this person that's going to complete me? And it just devastated me that I, I would be on my deathbed with one foot in the door and one foot out and never being truly connected to another soul on this planet and using every single person in my life like an ATM. I just couldn't do it anymore. The thing I love about you, Brian, um, you know, behind all the Hollywood glitz and the glamour and the red carpets and everything else, um, you just glow with absolute honesty. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you look at everybody else in the industry, they hide behind in Instagram and, and everything else, but you're all about your truth. And, and yeah. most people would not do that. I think because I, I lived with so many masks on for so it was, so, I was so empty. I was so alone. I hated myself. I mean, you see a picture, I posted a picture of me on, the red carpet for prom night, Sony, like one of my first really big starring roles. And I was at the worst of my addiction. Mm. Like I was destroying my life. I was flirting and intriguing and, you know, having exes and boyfriend. It's just, I it was just all over the place. So incomplete. And we paint the picture of that's what is what life is worth living to find a partner, to find money, to find success and fame. And it is so depleting when you do not have yourself. And so I can say 12 years later, I could die today and I love myself more than anybody else. I'm my own soulmate, nobody else. And I didn't realize though, to get to that place, you have to dig through it. You have to dig through all the trauma you created. You have to dig through all the trauma that was done to you. You have to look at your background with your family. You have to decide if you're going to set up boundaries and healthy behaviors. And you have to literally surgically remove everything in your life and put it back in a way where you do not use anything to fulfill you anymore. And it is the most painful process you know, we had a guy that came in recently that had 33 years off, off drugs and alcohol. And he said, I don't want to do this work. Like this is the PhD. They say AA is the last house on the block. They say slaw is like the shack in the back. Like you don't want to go to, it's like the last line of defense because under any addiction is relationships. Relationships is the number one thing people lose their recovery over. The number Absolutely. one thing. And more people are in jail and die from this addiction. I've had more friends commit suicide. Watch a dateline. It's all about love triangles. Someone's killing somebody for something, you know, love and money. So, yeah, I just wanted to speak out and say, this is not just a small amount of people that have this problem. This is universal. This is huge. In 2017, 30 million people had sex and love addiction in the United States. And 38% of those are women. And I'm telling you today, the rooms are huge. The recovery is huge. There's so many people 
wanting intimacy and self-love and work validation, but they're scared of abandonment and they're scared of, you know, rejection and all of that. So I could keep talking. You guys got to cut me <laughs> off because I'll talk. And there's a four of us. So I need to be quiet for a second. <laughs> I just wanted to, I just wanted to echo that, you know, you standing on the red carpet, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I can bet you that that was also a time when you say you were your sickest yep. and you just hated yourself, mm-hmm. that you must've gotten a ton of external validation at that point. Oh, that but it said, was empty. It was yes, empty. yes. Thought, that, and I thought that would that would fill me. Yeah. You know, that's why yeah. those celebrities that have everything, yeah, and they kill themselves over something, and it's just like what? Because we keep believing the message that society is giving us: if you get this, if you obtain this, if you get this love, if you get this car, you will be better, and that is not true. I am telling you, when I was on that designer dress getting my picture taken by thousands of photographers, I was so sad, depressed, empty, alone, and no one could reach me. I had to do it. You can be the most alone in a room full of thousands of people than than anywhere else, especially if you're hiding from yourself, you know, and especially if that side of you that's performing is what's being validated and embraced and and celebrated. It gives you such a a hole to crawl into to say- It's actually worse. Yeah. It's worse to be in that state than living on, and I write about this in the book, you know, on my low, I was running down the street and I saw this man because Los Angeles has a really bad drug problem. And I saw the, the- a needle in his arm on the 11 a.m. on the side of the street. And it was like, I was no different from him. He's just living his horrible horribleness on the outside and on the inside. And what I was doing is I was, my horribleness was on secrets and shame and lies. So it was almost 10 times more painful. You, you live in a mansion, but you are like so depleted and that's more painful than sometimes you living on the street because we feel like we deserve to be on the street, like with nothing. Cause that's how I feel inside. Yeah. The talk doesn't match the dress. Exactly. I love that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now Tara, um, when I met you, I was absolutely blown away uh, by your story. Uh, and the fact that you'd been in and out of rehab 12 times and I remember I asked you, um, you know, what, what kept you going back and what made you relapse uh, more importantly. Tell us a bit more about your story. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, um, absolutely. And a lot of what Brianne said really resonated with me too in terms of always feeling like I was acting. I, I dipped my toes into acting for a long time, never really had much success with it, but I was acting pretty much my whole life. I started lying about just everything when I was around seven, eight years old. And I don't know why, except I felt like I needed to protect myself. And I felt like if people knew 
what was actually going on, they would have something on me and they could hurt me. And, um, and as far as the drinking, when that came in, it was a really relatively normal trajectory in that I started drinking because, well, I didn't want to be me around other people because I was afraid that they would reject me. And so I would drink to be able to just let go around other people and try to control the kind of person that I could be because I guess my acting skills weren't that great, but throw some liquor at me and all of a sudden I could be whoever I thought that I should be for these people. And it allowed me to feel this sense of intimacy with people that I was afraid of experience experiencing without the mediating force of alcohol. And then it got to a point where I was using it to manage my own emotions when I was alone, that I couldn't be in a relationship with myself without alcohol mediating that, that I couldn't show up for myself without it. It really revved up in response to, uh, the passing of a friend of mine, and I didn't want to feel those feelings. And the the thing about it is that it worked, you know, it worked until it stopped working. But at that point, I had it all linked up that I needed this. And that was the thing that was keeping me safe. And that was the thing that was going to protect me from all the things that could hurt me in the real world. And it became my primary relationship. So when I would have friendships, when I would have try to have a relationship with my family when I would have these revolving door boyfriends. Um, they were always coming second, third to a bottle of something. And I'm pretty sure they knew that. And there was this crippling loneliness of knowing that I was lying to everyone in my life to protect my relationship with a bottle. And I couldn't be honest about how I was feeling about that relationship because I didn't want them to take it away. I didn't want them to take away my alcohol because it was the only thing that made me feel safe, even though it was the one thing that was making me actually very unsafe. It revved up to the point where I was waking up in snowbanks. I was waking up in hospital rooms. I was waking up in strangers' beds all the time. And, you know, thank God I woke up in those places as opposed to just not waking up somewhere. Um, it's, it's rather wild that I woke up in so many places. Um, and then the, the rehab cycle started and the trouble with that is the safety that I felt when I was in those places of having my needs met, my basic needs met. Uh, I was fed, I was told where to be, what to do, what to think in some cases. Um, there were rules for everything. So I didn't have to think about what to do any ever. And I loved it so much that in a way I became addicted to rehab. I became addicted to the process of getting taken care of and being told that my thoughts and feelings and emotions were important. And then I would get out of that safe space and I would have no real tools. I had, I was always generally pretty good at articulating myself so I could make it seem as though I had processed all these things therapeutically but it was just this disconnect between my head and my heart that I knew what was wrong with me. I knew why I drank. I knew I could unravel and unpack all the things that had happened in my life that, um, that were painful. But in terms of what was going to make me feel like I had a compelling future, my past, you know, I could, I had picked at it so many times it didn't hurt anymore. There was no pain left because I had been just excavating that, that scab so, so many times that it had gone completely numb. So that 
so at a point I kept almost like trying to find more tragedy and more trauma. And it turned into this kind of process of rationalization. Okay, what hidden nugget of pain am I going to find today? But then my the addict in my head is actually a really amazing lawyer for my bad ideas. So I would do this work, this therapeutic work, and it would turn into a permission statement. It's like, oh, well, you were rejected by this person. No wonder you feel like you need to soothe yourself or, you know, you're, whatever the story was, uh, whatever pain or whatever... Um, but what I didn't have was a compelling story about why I could stay, about why I should stay sober, because I didn't see really anything of value there. And I didn't have any, I didn't have a life. I had broken relationships. I had no career. I had no CV. I had nothing except for a lot of experience being in and out of rehab, in and out of hospitals. I'd read a lot of books on the topics and I could, I could talk about addiction like a professional to almost anyone who asked me to talk about it. But I didn't know how to take that, that information and just kind of do something different with my feet. So sometimes I would go to rehab and the moment I started to feel anxious about leaving, I would just find a guy there. So I would leave rehab with a boyfriend and then completely negate all the work I was doing on myself because I just transferred the love that I couldn't feel for myself to this person who was now supposed to save my life, right? And ensue drama. Drama creates opportunity for relapse. So I would look for these I would look for these moments of chaos and drama and I would seek them out when I had just a little bit of recovery time to reinforce my excuse to start drinking again and over and over and over and over again. And at a point, you're just... I just felt like I was broken and I had managed to uh, accumulate a resume of mental health diagnoses at least. So I had that, but that also became a kind of character. It became my identity. It's like, I am an alcoholic. I have these, I have a personality disorder. Um, I have, I, I had an eating disorder for a little while. You know, I have anxiety, like all these things, all the things that I identified with were reasons why my life was never going to work. Um, and you know, it, it really took me just being so defeated. I didn't have it in me to scheme and lie and find the drama anymore and just kind of doing the things differently, like showing up in the places I was supposed to show up and acting like a person who was serious about recovery, even though I didn't believe that I was, you know, and I, I really agree with the idea that doing that work, that painful work uh, is important. But for me, I needed to just do the different things and get to a point where I was stable enough. It, because every time I kind of brought that stuff up, it just reinforced the idea that I was broken, as opposed to strong. So yeah, that's without getting into any very specific details. That was kind of my, my cycle for a long time. The timing of when you actually do the digging is incredibly important, right? And when you're just trying to find your feet and you're just trying to stabilize, that's not the time to open up wells of trauma and go digging deep into the past. And for those clinicians out there, treatment professionals out there that believe that, you know, in the first, you know, 30 days of even someone's not only beginning of recovery, but relapsing and coming back, that's the time to really dig deep into all of your wounds. Um, they're really kind of handing you, not that it's not still our accountability, not that it's still not our lives to manage, but ripping open those wounds at a time when 
your first coping mechanism that you've not even learned to live without, like the oxygen you breathe is to numb in whatever way you can. That's not the time that you rip a wound open. You really can't rip a wound open and really start digging. You can't take something away from us without something to replace it with. Mm-hmm. We have to have something to replace it with. And broken has to be replaced with purpose. And mentally ill has to be replaced with recovering and, you know, a way out. Mm-hmm. And other, otherwise, we, you know, we reinforce the idea, you know, when you talk about the safety that you felt inside that, I'm going to call it a bubble, mm-hmm. that treatment bubble, um, it is safe, but it's also very, very unsafe because what it teaches us about ourselves is that we must rely upon the institution in order to keep us safe. We don't internalize the idea that the person doing the work and keeping ourselves safe is us. You know, I, I happen to be CEO of a detox facility outside of live treatment, which is concierge and comes to the client all over, all over the world, um, internationally over zoom and, and in person. But I also have a brick and mortar detoxification facility. And I will tell you that I think we're darn good at what we do. Um, and it's, I'm very, very exceptionally proud of our team. I also know as someone in recovery If you want to relapse or engage in relapse behavior, such as finding someone to connect yourself to, right? As you're about to leave, Brianna, see you shaking your head. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Easiest thing to do ever. Set yourself up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you've got got your exit plan Mm -hmm. already, already right there. And why wouldn't you? Because mm-hmm. you're terrified and you have no idea what the future holds. And there's no, there's no, there is no safety net per se to life in general, mm-hmm. but there needs to be a, there needs to be a plan. The revolving door of treatment would not exist. It is inherent in the model to a certain degree. Okay. That we, we do the best we can with numbers of 30, 40 people at a time, maybe even 20 at a time. But knowing how to guide somebody past that mm-hmm. stabilization period and into their real life, that is where it takes connection and human beings and people who are willing to think outside the box and creatively and looking at you, the person, not saying, okay, this is what worked for this statistic. Therefore, it's going to work for you. Your mm-hmm. purpose is so individual. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's so individual. And, you know, that's where it kind of all runs together is that a life without purpose is really not a life worth living. It doesn't matter, you know, what your purpose is, your passion, what drives you, what motivates you. Again, there has to be something to replace it with. And so if our identity is in the darkness and in the sickness, then how are we possibly going to embrace and love ourselves for being more than what we were taught 
we could be, you know, we, we got up, we brushed our teeth that day. We, 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 we attended X number of groups. We attended our meetings. Yes. But if we feel empty at the end of that, that is a human experience. There is not, there is no human alive. I feel that can fill their days ongoingly with looking at what is wrong with them and never being challenged to look at what's right with them. Even though that's the scariest thing I think we can do is say, Hey, you know what? You're not your sickness. Mm. This is not permanent. And sometimes I think that's the scariest thing is when someone actually tells us, Hey, you know, that rock you've been hiding under that you thought was, you know, a life sentence you know, I am my addiction. I am my mental illness. I am my diagnosis. When someone tells you, hey, actually, that's, that's a moment of, in time. Yes, it's something that recovery is something that we choose daily. My recovery today does not look anything like what it looked like when I started. Not only am I a transformed person, but what I would have told a client or what I followed at that point was a, an absolute reflection of what I knew of myself, how much I learned of myself. And the more we learn of ourselves and the more we learn of our why, when we do become safe enough within our own skin and have surrounded ourselves by the right support systems to say, okay, you're now at a point where we can actually dig a little deeper here. And I think this is actually the first time I've ever shared this outside of with a client or in a very intimate setting, but I, I really feel compelled actually to tell you now in this space. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to let whatever is higher than me tell you this. Um, my original destiny, as I knew it to be in life, was to be a musician. Um, At 18 years old, I was offered a record deal with a very prominent label. And I was, not to use your story, Brianne, because we're not the same person at all, (laughs) but the idea of that validation, oh my God, somebody saw me performing and thought, She's somebody. Yeah. She's going to make it. And, you know, she's going to be a star, you know. (laughs) And um, what very few people know is that I was vomiting 18 times a day. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was blowing out my vocal cords. Um. I actually was hospitalized for blowing out my vocal cords. I would just profusely bleed from the inside out, yeah. um, which, which, was, which was a very real thing, but also very symbolic. I was bleeding from the inside out at the same time as being given this opportunity in front of me to say, you can be a star. Yeah. And, and thank God... I had, and at times, you know, you know, you, you have to know 
Brianne, you're a mother, regardless of being a mother. I'm I'm not, I, I'm a mother to fur babies. I've never given <laughs> birth. I know it's not the same thing. I have mothered. I can tell you I have mothered. Um, yeah. it, it is a, there is a process of mother, I, I've mothered myself. I've I've mothered my my clients. I, you know, whatever the case may be. Um the idea is is that I, my mother sat me down and looked at the contract with me Mm -hmm. and said, do you realize, are you looking at clearly what everything says here? They actually own you. They own you. Yeah. This is, this is the opposite of freedom. This is not you actually having a voice. They may have seen someone on stage performing and said, that's a voice but I know you and my fear is that you will not that you won't succeed, but that you will. Yeah. And you'll, and you'll die. You'll die. I, and I knew that when, if I hit a list celebrity, like I, cause I, you know, you don't go to Hollywood or go into music just wanting to be like, you know, you want to be a star. So yeah. if I knew if I got certain parts I was up for, big parts that you all have heard about, if I would have gotten those parts, I would have died. I would have put myself in a situation where something would have gone south and I would have died. Or I would have killed myself because I was so miserable. So I believe me being a worker among workers me, you know, while digging through my shit is what I say, and then going to do community service at the same time is what saved my life. It's that balance. Because if I would have made it as an A-list celebrity, I would have, it, it would have killed me. And I believe that with you too. If you would have signed that contract, I'd be you dead. probably wouldn't be here today. No, I know I wouldn't. I know yeah. I wouldn't because the, the, the girl that was going to sign that contract there was nothing more. Yeah. You already empty. You were so empty. I was so You were bleeding. You were, you were bleeding, bleeding, bleeding blood. Yeah. You were literally, yeah. your soul was bleeding, bleeding out of your mouth saying, yeah. you are dying. Do yeah. you not see you are dying? And I think yeah. a lot of addicts, we miss that where it's like, we feel this pain, especially with a chemical addiction. You are dying. And, and anything you and were, everything. Yeah. Anything and everything that I could put into that spot yeah. to, to, to look like I wasn't bleeding, you know, that perfectionism. I was always yeah. that kid who was highly, highly perfectionistic. A-type um, ty- a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Always yep. have your stuff together. Everything was in place. Yeah. Looking good. Good grades. I hear you. I was the exact same way. Yeah, you, me too. You couldn't like, see me coming. I was no. like hiding in the shadows looking yeah. all amazing. And the and every becomes this secret place where you give yourself mm-hmm. permission to just be human, to just be human, to have normal feelings and make mistakes. And you think that you need this, this, this mediated thing to just have permission to make, to do that. So that's what's mm-hmm. so sad about it, that if I could just figure it out, that it was kind of okay to be human. Mm-hmm. Oh, being human's amazing. It is so amazing now to say I have flaws. Yeah. 
Like I have these character defects that still try to run my life. And every day I have to hit my knees and turn it over to somebody I don't understand, some God, some higher power, some universe, and turn my life over to connection. Connection is the number one thing that gets you out of your addiction. If I can connect to one of you or some Joe Schmo down the street, then I know I am sober today. That's what keeps me sober every day is being connected. But you have to go through the darkness to get to the light. You dump that process. There's you no way to, out like, but through. There's exactly. no way out but through. You have to actually tunnel and dig and scrape your way through. And do you know what it reminds me of? Shawshank Redemption. Uh, oh, my yeah. oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Of the oh. tunnels. <laughs> That's what you got to do. Favorite movie of all time. Right? Get busy right. living, get busy living or get busy dying. Get dying. Yeah. That's it. And that's exactly it. it and, and you know, it's so it's so ironic that you should mention that because, you know, he's playing the aria right there and, and, and all the prisoners are yep. listening and it's just this moment. And for me, that is exactly what music was. I totally. was lo- I was looking at something for me when I had no other higher power to cling to. Music was my higher power. It still is. It's a way in which my higher power speaks to me today. Me too. Me too. Musical. But I me never too. in a million years thought that where this would lead me would be. And here's the human story. I never, ever intended in what I created to fill the gaps that 30, 60, 90 day treatment programs that focused mm-hmm. only on behavior and not trauma and not the underpinnings and not all of that weren't focusing on. I never intended to meet celebrities. I never intended to have celebrity clients. I'm not a celebrity psychologist. That's not who the hell I am. That's not who I wanted to be. Yeah. What happens when you think outside the box and you are human? is that people who most want to be seen as human and not revered for their status, not revered for the latest album, not revered for the latest movie, they want to be able to look at somebody in the face. And I will tell you, I have seen enough people who I would have died in my teens and younger years to just sit next to, shit themselves. It's like the the cool kids. Yeah. It means nothing, though. It means nothing. nothing because internally, they are just as broken. They are just more so. Human. And I feel more like, so. yeah, because they're doing it. So in the I public feel like I yeah. they're doing it in the public eye and it's constantly being reinforced. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, whatever, yes, whatever. Yes, yes. That's huge. Yeah. Because when you have this ability to get all what you think you need met. It's like, well, that next mm-hmm. thing that's going to fill this inside, I can get that. It's like, oh, that wasn't it. Okay, well, the yep. next thing, I'm gonna, that's going to fill this up. Oh, oops, that wasn't it. You know, the next thing, oh, oops, that wasn't it. And you can just spend so much time chasing your own tail, not realizing that it's never going to be the next thing out there. But it's an empty have well. People saying yes, 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 yes all the time. It's, it's, oh, to have, just have quiet space to re and also you don't want to come to a place I'm I'm I would imagine when you've accomplished all this and you realize that oh wait maybe like what what was it for in a way um, oh it, it was so empty it was yeah. so it, it would have been it, and it, it was doesn't so have empty to be, but it's the motivation no. of why you're going after the thing you know like I That's don't a- have 
I have a lower scale kind of thing, but even sometimes I'll get- But it doesn't even matter if the scale, it could be a housewife at home that wants to be part of a PTA or mm-hmm. or have yes. the, the next best car. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's when you are always thinking this outside thing is going to f- complete you or fix you is yeah. the problem. This person, the codependency, those are the things that kill you, that you keep reaching for, that- we all keep saying is true and it is not. In a way, that's kind of the beauty of being in recovery in that we came to a point where we ha- we hit a wall and we knew that the thing wasn't working and we kind of had yeah. no choice but to make a completely radical shift. You know, like we threw all the sick things Sick and tired of being sick and tired. And yeah, the know? more things you throw at it, the bigger the hole gets. It just kind of fills up with as much as you throw at it. And... There's a point where there's no choice but to turn inward or mm-hmm. you just die or you end up just, I don't know. Die. You die. You die. Yeah. You die. You died. I know. Exactly. Exactly. You die or you die. I was kind of mm-hmm. hoping I was going to die because I was like, why haven't I died yet? And I would see these people, like people mm-hmm. on the street in Montreal, there's so much homelessness. And I would be like, you know, at one point they had hopes and dreams and unlike me, it doesn't look like they have anyone in their corner rooting for them anymore. It doesn't look like they have anyone there to bring them to the damn hospital, you know? And just imagining how that must feel to be dead inside and do doing almost everything you can to kind of try to kill yourself slowly and still just kind of being shuffling along in this hopeless feeling existence. And not to mm-hmm. say that they're hopeless. I, I, I believe that there is a possibility for intervention for everyone, but that to me was hell, was living like I wanted to die and just not actually dying. Not so much the idea of death, you know, that's going to happen to me anyways. But could it, could it hurry up and come so I don't have to walk through the pain? Exactly. It's like, I'm going there anyways. Right. And it's it's such a painful, painful road. I just want it. I just want it to be over. But having this inability to actually, you know, um, but there was a small spark of me that just wouldn't, kept me going to treatment and kept me going because I, you know, must have seen that there was some hope out there, something higher, something that I was still meant to be alive for. Oh my God, Tara, there so was. I mean, it's so evident in looking at your story and hearing, I mean, the the words that come out of your mouth that you just say in normal sentences, just like you're you know, just like you're saying your ABCs. That's that's um, a thing that I love about Tara is she just oh. she just tells a story so effortlessly that you just like yeah. I am on the edge of every word you let go, and it is just absolutely just beauty. Yeah, Thank and it's you. not because it's not because it's hyperbolic, and it's not because you're it's not because you're saying something that's you know meant to pack a punch. You just say things in a way that is so human Mm. and you say things in a way that is so um, from the soul and from the heart that when you speak just in a normal sentence, I I mean, I'm telling you, I wrote down things that you said from listening to your podcast with Bindi and from listening to your own podcast. And and there are just these, these sentences that you would say almost as though they were just in, they were, they were just in fact, you're just talking, you're just in passing. And there are things that just seared into me, like, oh my God, I so feel that. And so your ability to connect to the world around you, that, you know, I don't ever want to 
tell you what your story is. I think that's the worst thing actually that someone can do is tell someone else what their narrative is. But I can just tell you as a, as a, as someone who respects you, listens to you, has listened to your podcast, has actually paid attention to who you are in the world, whether you want to call it, whatever it is that you want to call it, that spark that was inside of you, that to me was your higher self. That to me was the part of you that, that said, I am bigger than my pain. I am bigger than whatever this moment tells me I am. I don't know what I'm here for, but I'm going to find out one day. And it's, it's so, it's so profound to, to hear you. And, you know, I, I, my, my clients, my beautiful, beautiful, courageous, beyond belief clients, there's so much overlap between all of our stories and theirs. Why? Because it's a human experience. It's Absolutely. not, it's human. I, I, I sat there and prayed for death. Um, I just did. I prayed for it. Um, and, and thank God I wasn't granted it. Um, but I did. I remember sitting there and saying, please, I don't want to hurt the people around me. I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hurt my mother. I don't want to hurt my brother. I don't want to hurt the people who I know look up to me and think I'm some sort of superhero. So just, just do it for me. Just do it for me because I can't do it to them, but I can't live like this anymore. And that's the truth is that I couldn't live like that anymore. It took that person transforming. And I don't believe that all bad things happen for a reason. I don't. They're, they're, that's just a statement I'm just going to make. No one has to agree with me. I don't think all bad things happen for a reason. I don't think that there are little babies in Africa that are being raped today for a reason. Not the God of my understanding. I don't believe that. What I do believe is that what we wring out, what we take from those painful, tragic experiences that tell us that we're worthless that tell us that we are whatever a piece of paper in that moment says we are. That when we take those moments in time and we decide at some point that we are going to use those as our superpower, Mm. we are actually going to embrace those and, and use those to make us stronger. I have so much of a stronger voice today, by the way, I still sing, but, um, no, we're no, not looking for a contract uh, anytime <laughs> soon. That's not in the cards. But I will tell you what, the voice that I have, and I did regain it, by the way. My range, everything came back because I healed. I healed from the inside out. And I can hit every note that I would have hit when that contract was offered. But the lives that I've touched and the people that I have seen the people who I revered that I would have done anything to sit next to and hear their story. I have sat next to, but I sat next to them over a toilet bowl. I've sat next to them while they lost their bowels. I've sat next to them while they were suicidal. I've sat next to them while they were in so much agony because they were in the public eye. 
And the standard for them was so much higher that they didn't have a private place to feel pain. They didn't have a place to say, I'm not your fucking superhero. I am not your fucking star. I am hurting. You see a star. You see a role. The person, the person is falling apart. And I have so much more of a voice and so much more of a reach than I ever would have had at a sold out concert. There are more people alive today because of their own work and because of trusting me to be a guide and an ally and a partner in the work that they've done than I ever could have done on an album. And that I know. I know that my purpose was not to become a rock star. My purpose was to become first a human who loved herself. And by the way, I'm just going to go on the record and say, that's not a one-time thing. I didn't learn to love myself. And then that struggle just went away. There are all kinds of challenges that get thrown on me on a daily basis. When a client falls down and they're not doing well, it's really, really hard to look at all the effort that we put in, in being of service, when our purpose and our passion is attached to the work that we do. And we see people who suffer anyway, or who aren't ready to take those steps. And it is excruciatingly painful because for those who know me, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I will meet you where you're at. And if where you're at is in the pits of your despair, I will meet you there. And I will, I will stay and I will, so long as you're willing to take one baby step forward with me, we'll go baby step by baby step. When you lose, when they lose that battle, it's very, very hard not to personalize that and not to say, therefore, I am less than. And that, so recovery and self-love and returning back to purpose and passion and also the fact that we are not omnipotent. Because if I were, I would have gone back to the seven-year-old girl that I was and said, hey, stop vomiting 18 times a day. This is, you know, this is, this is tragic, you know, but I also would have told her, you have no idea how much of a rock star you're about to be. You think it's about that contract. You have no idea the way you're really about to rock the world. You know, if only we had, if only we had the ability to have all the answers when we needed them. But recovery is an ongoing process. And as things are thrown at us, as moments like with COVID where isolation is, it's an epidemic, it's a pandemic when it comes to all of the addictions surfacing, when it comes to all of the suicidal ideation, all of the isolation, all the things that love to breed in secrecy come to the surface. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. People like us who have taken on the charge of service work and saying, I will be here to walk you through to the other side. The, the stakes are high. They're really high. And so I will just say that self-love is something that is to be revisited and re-explored. And when I find myself tearing myself down because of not being that A-plus student again, because your mind wants to go back there, you know, it's what's ingrained, you know, why didn't I get the A-plus, you know, um, to remind myself that being human is the most important thing I can do. And that so long as I'm focused on the A plus, I'm also putting out there to those that are listening, to those that are holding my hand through their process, that that's what I expect of them. I don't even have to say it to them. It's just walking the walk. I have to revisit me and say, get yourself off the pedestal you're, you're a human being first. And that's the most important thing we can all be. That's what gives permission for other people to have a voice. Absolutely. And I, and I feel like as you were talking about the kind of process of renegotiating your relationship with yourself, and I'm sure Brienne can relate to this too. It's, it's yeah, like um, how we have to, have to relearn how to have relationships with other people and yep. relationships with other people are constantly changing because they're constantly changing. But so is the relationship we have with ourselves, because we start to discover that we may not be who we thought we were yesterday. And maybe we yeah, don't and you don't know want. your boundaries, your yes. bottom lines, what you like, what you don't like, mm-hmm. who, what kind of people you want in your life. And it's yeah. always evolving because you're never fully like healed. No. <laughs> I completely agree. And not even just a matter of healing. We're always just kind of being exposed to new things and mm-hmm. new challenges that that test our perception of ourselves. And I don't know about, about you, but if a lot of who I believed I was was created in a sick place, yeah. then a lot of those old ideas of identity, you know, they're you're gonna start acting differently than what your brain is telling you you are. And it's like, well that's confusing. Yeah. And then you questioned it. Do you remember (laughs) the questioning it where you're like, wait, is this true or is that true? And you feel like you're in this. Exactly. I thought I I liked this. I thought that I was into these sorts of things. I thought I liked this person. Wait, I don't even like this person. Wait, I was seeing this person for years and I don't even like them as a person like that, that realization. So everything is okay not to like for sure, for sure. And being open to that process of transformation Mm -hmm can be so gratified because you're not stuck in this idea of who you need to be or who, what mm-hmm. the world needs to be. You're open to the process and kind of, I get it, the curiosity of life, you know, it's like, yeah. like, who, who am I going to meet tomorrow? What am world shape me as opposed to trying to shape the world? You know, cause I can't tolerate things being not how I want them to be. Yeah, I'm sure. So you got to surrender that. Yeah, I'm sure, Brian. You you hear you're hearing echoes of a lot of twelve step kind of philosophy here too. But it's just it's present in Buddhism. It's present in Mm -hmm. Stoicism. The idea that we have to let go of our iron grip on our our ideas of how the world should be. I I mean, that's everything I believe in, and it's Mm -hmm. just like you have to surrender it all. You have to let go of whatever you thought was, and just 
open to what is coming and what is new. And I think so many people get scared of that, but it's actually very exciting. Mm -hmm. And then when you're of then service, for me, it's all about service. Whenever I'm of service, that takes me to another level of my spirituality and self-love. And that is what today is like sustains my 12 years of recovery. And I go to more meetings today and I sponsor more people and help more people and speak more than I ever did 12 years ago because that's my soul massage. That keeps oh, me coming I love back. That soul massage. Yeah. yeah. See, so if you're scared Another- of therapy, Think of it as a soul massage because we all love massages. I just think about it going to get your soul massage. It's that time for you to like really look at you and work on you. And it's and, and no one else has a skin in the game. So I that's my favorite thing to say. It's beautiful. And and the peer-to-peer element of, of communal uh, recovery too, mm-hmm. or even if you're working with a professional who has been through it, is so different from, I remember yeah. I just used to have this fallacy of thinking it would just take the right doctor or the right therapist that was going to, you know, fix me. Like they would know me fix for maybe me, an hour. Me. Yeah, yeah. I would sit in a chair, tell my little life story and was like, so what do you got? And yeah. Nope. <laughs> well, that's what we want. We all want to be fixed, but it's like yeah. that's not how it works. Tell and me that, who I am. Tell me who I am and what I should do. But here's the thing I I love. Just because I'm in a community or just because I help one of my clients or work with someone, I am not their God. They no. are not my God. No one is going to fix me. It's an inside job. Yeah. Yes, people can give you tools hmm. and and boundaries and things to do and other ways to look at things and new, you know, places to go and all that stuff. But you it's it's an inside job. Yeah. And eventually getting to a point where you're like, I don't need to be fixed. Like this isn't about Mm -hmm. fixing anymore. It's like you know, like the house that sort of made using like a house metaphor. It's like, okay, the Mm -hmm. renovations are done. Now it's just about the decorating, you know? (laughs) <laughs> and you get to and you get to redecorate. Yeah, I know the, because you're fun. not broken. That's Listen. the great thing. No, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Every but that's that's the whole reason why I love the way in which we are all having this conversation is that you know it can seem like a diagnosis or an addiction no. or being in recovery is a life sentence. It is not a life sentence. It what is it not. Is, it's bringing the darkness to light. And yep. when you let light in, the darkness can no longer live. It just eradicates it. It just And does. you find you. It's actually you find you. It is not a life sentence. I am a grateful sex and love addict. And I never thought 12 years ago I would say that. But I walked into those rooms thinking I was broken or alone and something was wrong with me and somebody had to fix me. And it's like, I was never broken or alone. I just didn't get the tools how to handle reality on reality's terms. And I wanted to go into fantasy and live this different life. And it's like, when I saw that, I knew I wasn't broken and needed to be fixed. I just had to change my behaviors. And that was it. And now I'm free. Like to have freedom from that addictive self is the most beautiful. But I have to work on it every day. Every yeah, it's day an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. I don't see it as work anymore, though. I kind of see it as play now. Like, it's like, (laughs) oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of like showing up to life and being like, what do you got? And not seeing it as like, oh, you know, like, 
I got I gotta work on myself. You know, like <laughs> like I just But that takes this. time. That <laughs> yeah. takes time though. That mm-hmm. takes years, I think. Like you have to kind of go through it. But I love your play aspect. That's amazing. I still think it's work sometimes. I'm like, you no, know, it depends on the day, you know. Like I'm in a good mood right now. You know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you have those days where you're like comparison despair. Stop telling me I'm not good enough. Stop looking on Instagram, comparing your life to other people's filtered lives. Like, stop mm. all of that. Stop the self-hatred, stop the jealousy, envy, you know, perfectionism, all that stuff that still lives in me. Yeah. But now I have the tools to get out of it. And some days I'm like, just go away. Like, leave me alone. Like addict self. I call it addict yeah, self. Can I just be a normal self. person for one day? <laughs> hey, guess but what? No. We are, hey, guess what? We are. We are we the are. most, we are the most normal Totally. We're the most involved. I I feel like it's involved. Well, no, what I mean, what I mean by being normal is we're normal in that we fucking know that we're not normal. The idea there is no there is no normal. normal. Show me a normal, show me a normal person. I will show you either somebody who's not telling the truth or or has the most boring life that's unexplored and unexamined ever there is no, mm-hmm. no there is no normal we are the normal no, mm-hmm. to me normal is equivalent to being human and when i have the voices in my head that tell me that when a client isn't taking the tools and isn't using them and i want to get my superwoman cape wrapped around my neck tied so tight that I can't breathe because I've gotten myself into the idea that as you were stating before Brianne like you know oh I, I I'm God you know what I mean this is I, it falls to me now you know I worked this hard on being me I should be able to fix you yeah right I had the most exceptional therapist in the world it still took me years to to realize mm-hmm. that to realize that I was actually worth what she saw in me. She saw it in me and believed it in me until I can believe until I could believe it in myself. And the truth of the matter is, is that none of us come into this world with a switchboard that is on self-hate mode. There's no, there's no baby that's born into this world that hates themselves or that doesn't want to be here or that, you know, that's just not true. Life experience teaches us that. And the voices that tell us that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy, that we're sick, that we're broken, whatever, those voices are not our own. We just have to distinguish and learn what our own voice is. And you Mm -hmm. can't find your own voice until you listen to and are not afraid of hearing yourself speak, until you can be in a room with yourself and say, I can tolerate you. I can talk, I may not love you yet, but I can tolerate you. I can hear you. I can listen to you and what you have to say. I don't need to tell you to shut the fuck up. And I don't need to tell you that you're not the authority on your own life. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we are the only people that can tell our own story. We are the only people who have lived that story. And so for me, that's why mental health, recovery, humanity, It's humility, all an an evolution. It's Mm -hmm, all an evolution. If we're not evolving, we're dying. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, amen. Amen, yes, sister. <laughs> even, even though we're not religious, amen. <laughs> yeah. And just turning the lie, what used to be a liabilities into strengths. Like, yeah, did I used uh-huh. to wish that I had never picked up a drink or that I didn't have uh, mental health issues? Of course. But on the other hand, all of my strengths come from like that oversensitivity, that over, that complete oversensitivity that made me vulnerable to addiction. It's, it's now also, your superpower. Yeah. It's the thing that allows me to connect with people. It's the thing yeah, that allows me, me to be creative. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Right. I think at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is, is that it's in walking the walk. And yeah. I'm so, I'm so honored to know three other powerhouses on this podcast with me who do that and who've turned their pain into passion and purpose. And if that's not what we're meant to do with it, then damn it, I don't know what else it's supposed to do other than hold us back and keep us shackled. No. So amen. We're living proof it's not. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Living beautiful proof. And yeah. uh, it's it's time for us to share our songs, guys. So um, now I've all asked you to to bring along your choices. So I'm going to start with you, Tara. What's the song that you'd like to share uh, for this episode? Oh, uh, a song that kind of gets me going is Butterflies and Hurricanes by Muse. And I don't know, it makes me feel like I can take that next step. Love it. And uh, Brian, your song? Oh, my God. So <laughs> I love this song from Lauren Daigle, uh, You Say. Every time I listen to it, it takes me back to when I was first in recovery and where I am now. So listen to it if you're struggling. Love that song. Love it, love it, love it. And Renee, your song? My song is Just Feel Better by Santana featuring the amazing Steven Tyler, who is Woo! unknown and out addict in recovery and whom I have just infinite amounts of respect for. Um, That song not only gets me going, but it's an anthem and talk about collective unconscious and the connections between us all. Uh, Brienne's song, You Say by Lauren Daigle is one of those that I played on repeat throughout Mm -hmm. my own recovery and that I listen to every time I need a pick me up. And your song, Tara, is one I listened to on repeat right before this podcast because I wanted to learn you through music, not just through listening to your podcast. And so as I was getting ready, I listened to it and it felt like a shot right in the arm of just energy and light and talk talk about taking that next step forward. I was listening to it as an anthem on my way to this show. So thank you for for sharing that. Love a good anthem. And uh, my song uh, for this episode is Fix You by Coldplay. Uh, You'll find uh, all the songs uh, in our playlist if you search on Spotify, Get Real with Dr. Ron A. Uh, All the links will be in the show notes. And our meditation for this episode uh, is Self Love and Kindness. You'll find that one on Insight Timer. Thanks for getting real with us, Dr. Ron A. Thank you all for getting real with me and for getting real with yourselves and all of the people who you touch every day. I just could not be more grateful for you. Thank you for having. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to get to talk to you guys and get to know you a little better or at all. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to Get Real with Dr. Ronay. If you've loved the show and would like to experience coaching with coaches like Dr. Ronay or Bindi through Live Treatment Concierge Services, visit livetreatmentvip.com.
Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid.